You're listening to the Belmar Church Sermon Podcast. For more information about Belmar or to see our upcoming events, visit belmarchurch.com. We've been going through the book of Romans, and we are here at the beginning of Romans chapter 10. And it's interesting because we're also here uh, the beginning of July and July 4th weekend. And so a lot, I see a few folks uh, with uh, maybe their American flag t-shirt. I saw a guy with American flag cowboy boots yesterday. Uh, That was a little obscene, Ben. But anyway, just kidding. I was kind of jealous. I don't wear cowboy boots, but if I did, I might have a pair like that. Um, But we celebrate We call it Independence Day. We celebrate the birthday of our country. Um, We do that by celebrating a lot of things American, right? Uh, Probably at my house, we'll watch baseball today. Uh, I know we have apple pie. Uh, Some of you will watch the hot dog eating contest, or maybe you'll just have a hot dog eating contest. I don't know. Maybe fireworks, uh, maybe not. But as I thought about this passage in Romans chapter 10, it is really providential that it it coincides with our 4th of July Independence Day weekend. Because the apostle, the apostle Paul, is writing to the church at Rome. And here in chapters 9, 10, and 11, he's dealing with a subject that isn't probably in our front of mind. But it's how does the gospel of Jesus Christ fit with the the promise and the covenant that God made with Abraham and the Jewish people? And you might think, well, what does that have to do with the United States of America? Well, in that aspect, nothing. Except for Paul is going to deal with the rejection of the Messiah by the nation of Israel as a whole and how nations accept and reject God and the gospel and godly principles and how we as individuals, I think, are to react and act towards that. And so, We're going to look at Romans chapter 10, but I want us to remind ourselves how we got here by reading the last few verses of Romans chapter 9 by way of starting this morning. In Romans chapter 9, in verse number 30, it says this, What shall we say then? That Gentiles who did not pursue righteousness have attained to righteousness, even the righteousness of faith. But Israel, pursuing the law of righteousness, has not attained to the law of righteousness. Why? Because they did not seek it by faith, but as it were by the works of the law. For they stumbled at that stumbling stone, as it is written, Behold, I lay in Zion a stumbling stone, a rock of offense, and whoever believes on him will not be put to shame. He talked, and we talked about last week, this stumbling stone, Jesus Christ, who came to the nation of Israel to fulfill every prophecy of the Messiah, to redeem God's chosen people back to himself, and yet, as a nation, they rejected him. They crucified him. They said, this is not 
the Messiah, when of course he was the fulfillment of all of God's promises. And yet there were Jews who believed on him, some prior to his crucifixion, some after his crucifixion and resurrection. And so Paul is now going to begin to unpack some of, some of this, like what has happened? These Gentiles who didn't know anything about God, they didn't know the law at all, but here they hear the gospel of Jesus and what do they do? They trust him and God bestows upon them his righteousness. You have these Jews who, who they understood the truth and they had the law and they tried to follow God's precepts, but because they didn't put their faith in Jesus, then he says, they don't have righteousness. They've, they've missed what God had for them. And now we come to Romans chapter 10 and verse number one, and Paul expresses the, this heart desire that he has, where he says in verse number one, brethren, my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is that they may be saved. The greatest need that the nation of Israel had was to accept and receive Jesus Christ as the Messiah and their Savior. That is the greatest need that we as individuals have, and that is the greatest need that we as a country have. I think that's important for us to understand. Gas prices could be $10 a gallon, our greatest need would still be Jesus. Some of you are like, how much a gallon? Listen, gas prices could be two cents a gallon. We would still need Jesus. You with me? Some of you have been driving and you're like, I don't know about that preacher. The greatest need that the nation of Israel had was Jesus Christ. He said, I, I, my, my heart's desire is that they would be saved. I think one of Israel's most prominent difficulties was that they didn't see their need for Jesus. They, they, were, they were the Jews. They were God's chosen people. Abraham and Isaac and Jacob were their fathers and their forefathers. They were blessed beyond measure and they didn't recognize their need for Jesus. I think if we're not careful sometimes here in the United States of America, we can be the same way. We, we, we believe we're a Christian nation and founded on Christian principles and we are of all people most blessed, but we sometimes miss the fact that we need Jesus. Paul described his own situation to Timothy in 1 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 12. He says, I thank Christ Jesus our Lord who has enabled me <clears throat> because he counted me faithful putting me into the ministry. Although I was formerly a blasphemer, a persecutor, an insolent man, but I obtained mercy because I did it ignorantly in unbelief. That word insolent, 
uh, is someone who is violently arrogant. He said, I was a blasphemer. I was, I was a persecutor. I was arrogant to the point of violence, but I was unbelieving. I, I, I was in my own ignorance, but Jesus saved me and he put me into his ministry. Paul goes on in talking about the nation of Israel and their need for salvation in Romans 10 2, where he says, For I bear them witness that they have a zeal for God, but not according to knowledge. It's an interesting thing, and when you study the history of the nation of Israel and you study this word zeal, that had become a kind of a catchphrase amongst Jews in that time. In the writings of the intertestamental period, all right, which is you got the Old Testament and the New Testament, and in between is the intertestamental period, I'm told. It's about 400 years there where, where no prophets were, were declaring the, God's message. And there was sort of a silence, but there were still Christian leaders and, or not Christian leaders, but Jewish leaders and writers. And, and these rabbis would write things. And, and there was a strong emphasis amongst the Jews for zeal, for passion, for doing what God had commanded them to do and doing it with, with great intensity. Part of the results of that was the Pharisees. And we look at the Pharisees as, as those guys who were just hypocritical. Pharisee is sort of a bad word amongst New Testament Christians because Jesus was often critical of them. But for the Jews in that day, the Pharisees weren't hypocrites. The Pharisees were the standard by which all Jews were to be measured. They would do things like they would have little gardens where they would grow like mint and herbs and other things that they would season their food with. And when those little plants would come up, the very first thing they would do is take a tenth of that and, 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 and give it to God. That's, that's how passionate they were about fulfilling all of the rules of the law. They, they, were, they were focused on doing every little thing just right. And so Paul said about the Jews, they had great zeal. They had great passion, but not in knowledge. Paul reflected on his own passion his own zeal in Philippians chapter three and verse four, he says this, though I also might have confidence in the flesh, if anyone else thinks he may have confidence in the flesh, I more so. And then he gives his resume as a Jew. Circumcised the eighth day, verse five, of the stock of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of the Hebrews, concerning the law, a Pharisee, concerning zeal, persecuting the church, concerning the righteousness which is in the law, blameless. Paul said, when you looked at the law and, and you would go down the list, I checked every box. I was blameless. You want zeal? 
When other people said Jesus was the Messiah, I looked at them and said, you're wrong. Not only are you wrong, but I'm going to persecute you over it. I'll fight you over it. I'm so passionate about what I believe to be the truth, I'm willing to fight you for the truth. There was only one problem with that. He was wrong. On the road to Damascus, that's what hit him. That's, what was, that's what's so dramatic about the, Pers- the conversion of Paul is that he comes to this point at where a, bl- a blinding light strikes him down, a voice from heaven calls out, and he knows it's God. And he says, what do you want me to do? And he says, why are you persecuting me? Who are you, he says. And he says, I'm Jesus. The one who he had so much zeal for, but not in knowledge. See, passion is great, but passion misdirected is is harmful. We've got to have the knowledge of the truth. Jesus said this in Matthew 7. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of God. Of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father in heaven. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, we have not have we not prophesied in your name, cast out demons in your name, done many wondrous works in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. What did they say? Jesus said, I never knew you, but they say, didn't we do stuff? Didn't we accomplish things? Didn't we cast out demons, do many wonders? Weren't we at work? Weren't we passionate about following you? But Jesus said what? I don't know you. It's not enough for us to do for God. We've got to know God. And Paul said about the Jews, they've got zeal, but not to knowledge. That's why Jesus would say, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. See, I think in our world today, we have people that are passionate about trying to find God or or a God. But zeal and passion is not enough. The truth is this. Access to God is found only through Jesus Christ. Forgiveness for the wrong things that we have done and eternal destiny in heaven with God Almighty is found only through Jesus Christ. There is no other way. Now, You might say, well, but these folks have good intentions, but they're trying to do the right things. But if they don't know Jesus Christ, there's no other way to him. And as followers of him, we have that truth. We have the opportunity to to tell those who have zeal the truth of the knowledge of Jesus Christ. He goes on in verses 3 and 4 of Romans chapter 10 and says, for they being ignorant of God's righteousness and seeking to establish 
their own righteousness, have not submitted to the righteousness of God. For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. See, the Jews rejected Jesus and they clung to the law. They said, if we do these things, we're going to be okay. If we, if we check these boxes, if we obey these commandments, we're going to be all right with God. But they rejected the one that God sent to them. They rejected God become flesh. They rejected the Messiah. And they held on to their traditions and to the things that they already had. It's interesting, we already read from Philippians chapter 3 where Paul, and he's discussing those people who uh, would kind of flaunt their credentials and they were critical of Paul. And so Paul gives his resume as a Jew. It, it's interesting that he starts out with, I was circumcised on the eighth day. Probably not something he had a lot to do with. But what he is saying in that is, he's talking about his heritage, his lineage, that he had parents who were committed to Christ so much that they, that they took their son and, and ingrained that in him from the very beginning of his life. But then he also says, listen, I was a Pharisee. I was a Hebrew of the Hebrews. I kept the law. I was zealous. I, I, I was passionate. I did all of these things. And then he says this in Philippians 3, verses 7 and 8. But what things were gained to me, these I have counted lost for Christ. Yet indeed, I, I also count all things lost for the excellence of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish that I might gain Christ. Paul said all of those things are rubbish. They're garbage. I, I, I put all of those things behind me. All that matters is Christ. Jason was up here this morning, and sometimes, I'll be honest, sometimes I'm jealous of Jason. He's got too much musical talent. You know what I mean? Kind of annoyingly so. I mean, he's not annoying, He's really nice about it, which is more annoying. <laughs> you know? I, like, I don't know what line I was in when God was handing out musical talent, but not the line Jason went through two or three times. <laughs> For those of you that don't know, Jason was a student in my youth group when I was a youth pastor. Yeah, <laughs> yeah that's not what he said. But I remember one year, Jason was, uh, Jason was in marching band in high school, and uh, he was in the, the drum corps, the drum line. I don't want to, if I say it incorrectly, I know I'll hear about it. And so it's really interesting as a youth pastor because we would take different groups of kids to camp. Like one year, I took almost all of the offensive linemen to camp. So I just had, you know, they all had to sleep on the bottom bunks because, you didn't want a disaster to happen, you know. I mean, I had like four guys over 300 pounds coming to camp. It was great. But also one year, 
Jason came, and I had almost all the drum guys there. Those guys will beat on anything. Like, we were staying in these dorms, and we had this kitchen. I'm not exaggerating. Those guys got out all the pots and the pans that were in this, like, community kitchen, and, and they got, the, I mean, they have their drumsticks with them everywhere, and they're just, and they've got a, and they just went off to the point that, like, later in the week, they had a talent show, and you know, kids are juggling or doing whatever they're doing. I have like six guys walk up with pots, pans, buckets, trash cans, and they brought, they just brought the house down. Like, they just went off for like three or four minutes just beating on stuff. It was really cool in rhythm, not like how I beat on stuff. <laughs> and so I remember, because I'm a youth pastor and I want to capitalize on anything, right, we, then we did, like a couple weeks after camp, we did trash can night. And, we, and, and so I had all those guys come in, and that was like our music the whole night. And they just did a bunch of stuff. It was awesome. And this, Philippians 3, this was the passage I preached on. That everything we have is garbage compared to Jesus. Think about that. That's what Paul said. Paul said, my heritage, my zeal, my passion, all, the, every, everything I've done in my life, my education, becoming a, a Pharisee, being taught by the best rabbis, keeping all of the law, I count these things as rubbish if I could only have Jesus. Think about all of the things we put all kinds of stock and effort in and are they really just rubbish compared to Jesus? And so Paul recognizes that his countrymen were spending so much time and so much effort, but they missed the thing that was most important. As a nation, they had rejected Jesus and held on to their traditions, and their law. He goes on in verse 5 through 13 of Romans 10 and says this, For Moses writes about the righteousness which is of the law. The man who does those things shall live by them, but the righteousness of faith speaks in this way. Do not say in your heart, who will ascend into heaven, that is to bring Christ down from above, or who will descend into the abyss, that is to bring Christ up from the dead. But what does it say? The word is near you, in your mouth and in your heart, that is the word of faith which we preach. That if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God hath raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. For the scripture says, whoever believes on him will not be put to shame. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek, for the same Lord over all is rich to all who call upon him. For whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. I want to just break this passage down a little bit. He says in verse 5, Moses writes about the righteousness which is of the law. 
that the man who lived, who does these things shall live by them. Listen, if we start down that path of trying to earn God's favor, then we've got to do it perfectly. We've got to attain to his standard, which is holiness. If you're going to try to please God with the things that you do, then you better be 100% perfect all of the time. Newsflash, spoiler alert, you're not going to make it. And, and Moses said as much. The Old Testament says that. The New Testament says it as well. Galatians 3.10, he says, For as many are of the works of the law are under the curse. For it is written in Deuteronomy, Cursed is everyone who does not continue in all things which are written in the book of the law to do them. But that no one is justified by the law in the sight of God is evident. For the just shall live by faith. Paul said, it's obvious. You can't do it. And even to the Jews, think about what Jesus said. Even to the Jews who thought that they could fulfill the law, Jesus blew that away. You remember on his Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 5, he, he says, you've heard it said, you shouldn't lust, or you shouldn't commit adultery, rather. You shouldn't break your marriage vow. You shouldn't commit sexual sin. But I tell you, if you lust in your heart, you're guilty of that sin. Uh-oh. You've heard it said you shouldn't commit murder. But I'm telling you, if you're angry and you have unjustified anger in your heart towards someone, you're guilty of that sin. It's not, just a, it's not just about what we do, and what we do is bad enough, amen? But it's about the attitude and the thoughts that we have. Well, now, even if you thought you were good, like, I can pretty much say I, I've never killed anybody. Not pretty much. I can totally say it. <laughs> I, I saw some of you. Some of you were like, there is no statute of limitations on murder. Now, I've never killed anybody. But I've been pretty angry. I've, I've had hatred. It's not just what we do. It, it's, it's the attitude of our heart. And what that reveals is that we are sinners. We're un righteous. Verses 6 through 8, we read those. But I think outside of the quote that, that they come from, it's a little difficult. Verse 6 says, the righteousness of faith speaks in this way. Do not say in your heart, who will ascend into heaven? That is to bring Christ down from heaven. When you read that, you're like, what's he talking about? Like, we're talking about the law and faith and Jesus, and now he's, he's talking about going up to heaven, and then in a second he's going to talk about descending. But it's important to remember that as Paul is writing here, he's quoting Old Testament passages. And here he quotes from Deuteronomy chapter 30. Now, Deuteronomy chapter 30 
main, like when I said that, probably most of you weren't like, oh, okay. Now I get it. But to the Jews, Deuteronomy is part of the, the law, part of those first five books that, that they would look to as, as sort of the foundation of everything they believed. And Deuteronomy chapter 30 is towards the end of that book. It's the very end of the life of Moses. Matter of fact, in Deuteronomy 31, it, 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 it start, it's, the end, it's Moses' death. So we're here in Deuteronomy chapter 30, and this is, this is the, the quote, or this is what Paul is referring to, beginning in verse number 10. It says, If you obey the voice of the Lord your God to keep his commandments and his statutes, which are written in the book of the law, and if you turn to the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul. Now the first thing to, to understand in verse number 10 is this. Moses is laying out all of this, all of this law, how the Jews were to operate in their government as a society, how they were to worship God, the, the standards by which they were to treat one another, uh, all of these things. And he says, if you obey them, God's going to bless you. This is God, God wants you to do this. But he says, notice what he says there at the end of verse 10. If you turn to the Lord your God with all of your heart and with all of your soul. The, the purpose of the law was to turn the heart in faith, not to feel justified and self-righteous about the way we lived. But then he says, he goes on in verse number 11. He says, for this commandment which I command you today is not too mysterious for you, nor is it far off. It is not in heaven that you should say, who will ascend into heaven for us and bring it to us that we may hear it and do it. Nor is it beyond the sea that you should say, who will go over the sea for us and bring it to us that we may hear it and do it. But the word is very near you, in your mouth and in your heart, that you may do it. And so Paul, in quoting that, is saying, listen, this isn't too complicated. This isn't too hard. It's not too difficult for you to get. Although he unpacks that a little bit for us, he said that it's not, we don't need to ascend into heaven to, to get to understand this, but God did send one from heaven for us to explain it to us, to be our model and our guide to, to understand God. He said, you don't have to descend into, into the depths. You don't have to cross an ocean. It, it's not too complicated. The law is to lead us to faith. It's not that we have to check every box. It's not that we have to, 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 to do every detail just perfect. The point of the law is to lead us into faith in Christ. And then verses 9 and 10 of Romans 10 kind of begin to bring that home to us. It says, if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. 
He starts out here with a confession of the mouth, and then he talks about belief in the heart. And then in verse 10, he switches it. Notice what he says in verse number 10. He says, for with the heart, one believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth, confession is made unto salvation. He starts with the mouth. He goes to the heart. Then, he, then in verse 10, he, he deals with the heart and ends with the mouth. Here's really the point that I think. If you really believe something, it's going to be reflected in the things that you think, and that's going to be reflected in the things that you say. See, sometimes we say things that we don't really mean. Right? Like, I am listening, honey. Or, I will do that project you asked me to do. Or other things, some of you aren't laughing at all. These are jokes. Some of you looked at my wife, she wasn't laughing, so you're like, I'm not laughing here. But sometimes we do say things we don't mean. Sometimes we make promises that we maybe never intend to keep. Or we commit to do things that we really don't want to do. And so we confess things that aren't really in our heart. But what is in our heart will come out eventually and consistently. It's just the way it is. We talk about the things we care about. We, what's in our heart comes out in, in, in the way that we speak. I joke but about my relationship with my wife, but this August, my wife and I will celebrate 30 years of marriage. Listen, I love her. She is the, listen, marrying my Penny is the best decision I ever made. And I'm not just saying that because her mom and dad, her brother and her sister, and a whole bunch of in-laws are here today. But they are. <laughs> Trying to get a few points. <laughs> but I say that. It's not enough for me to say that. I have to show that. I have to live that. I have to believe that. And if my life doesn't match up with my words, then those things are hollow. But if I really believe it, then I'll say it consistently, I'll show it consistently, it'll be evident in my life. If you know Jesus, if you have faith in Jesus, it's not just about saying it or just about communicating it. It's about believing it and living it, but it is also about saying and communicating it. You can't have faith in Christ, real faith in him really make a difference, and then you never talk about it. I don't believe that can happen. That's like me never speaking of my wife and family. Just, you know, people go, are you married? I don't know, you've never mentioned it. Like, well, how would that be? I, I honestly, I can't imagine that. 
How could I not speak of the one who has forgiven me for all of the wrong things that I have ever done? Who has taken me from darkness and brought me to light? Who has taken me from death and brought me to life? Who is preparing a place even now in his eternal home for me to live and dwell? How could I not talk about that? If I believe that in my heart, it's going to be proclaimed out of my mouth. Romans 10, 9 and 10 is not alluding to some magic prayer or some magic words that we say and then God will somehow be pleased and, and we'll have faith in Jesus. Listen, if you don't have the ability to speak, you can believe in your heart and communicate it in whatever way you can communicate it and, and know Christ as your Savior. It's not about magic prayer or words that we say. It's about faith that we have in Jesus Christ. It's about knowing him. He goes on in verses 11 through 13. There's two quotes here from the Old Testament. The first is found in Isaiah. In verse number 11, he says, the, first, the scripture says, whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. He quotes this also in Romans chapter 9. Now for us, this may not be as impacting as, as maybe it should be. Because you're like, well, I don't want to be put to shame, but that doesn't seem like the worst thing in the world. But shame, as it's described in Isaiah, and then quoted here in Romans 9 and Romans 10, is condemnation. It's God shaming us. It's eternity in hell. It's eternal punishment. It's significant. And he says, whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. Whoever believes in him will not have to endure the eternal consequences of their own sin because of the grace of God. He goes on and says, for there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. For the same Lord over all is rich to all who call upon him. Now again, as we've talked about, this is an interesting phrase that he uses here. First of all, he says Jew and Greek. And you're like, well, I'm not either. I'm American. But, or maybe you don't say that. I don't know. But as we mentioned in, the, in Scripture, it's like Jew and Gentile. It's, it's people who are Jewish, and then it's like everybody else. And here he just substitutes Gentile for Greek. He's like, you know, Jews and all the other people. But he says there's no difference. Even though he's given us a bunch of differences. Paul's already said in the book of Romans that salvation is of the Jews, that the Jews are God's chosen people, that to the Jews the law were, was given, that there's all these advantages of being Jewish. But in the end, the only way to come to God is by faith in Jesus Christ and the grace that God offers. No matter what your heritage, no matter what your ethnicity, no matter what your background we all have to come to Christ in the same way. There is no difference. Now, for some, that may be better news than others. 
For some of you, maybe, maybe you're very proud of your, your family and your heritage and, and you think that, that that makes you special. But outside of Jesus Christ, that will not get you to heaven. That will not give you a relationship with God Almighty. For some of you, that might be great news. You're like, man, my family's a wreck. There is no difference. For whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved, verse 13 says. I love Romans 10, 13. Because it boils it down to such a simple phrase. You can have passion. You, you can check every box. But if you've never called out to God for forgiveness and salvation, then that is your greatest need today. Your passion, your zeal won't get you there. Your, your, your family, your background, your nationality, your money, your education, none of those things will get you there. It is only through Jesus Christ. But the good news is whoever calls out to him will be saved. Because it's not about what we do. It's about what he has done for us. The nation of Israel rejected Jesus Christ as the Messiah. But God had sent his only begotten son to, to, to be born of a virgin in Bethlehem, to, to live a sinless life, to be our example for how we ought to live. And ultimately, he gave himself over to, to humiliation and torture and death on the cross as a sacrifice for us. And then to prove his power over sin and death, on the third day he rose again. And if we will believe on him, if we will call out to him, the wrong things that we have done in our life can be forgiven. Our, our, our eternal destiny can go from shame and torment to heaven and paradise, not because of our passion, not because of the good things that we've done, but because of our faith in Jesus Christ, because of his grace extended to us. And so my question to you is, is simply this, do you know Jesus as your savior? It's not about our nationality, it's not about our politics, it's about our relationship with God. Jesus said to those he rejected, I never knew you. And so my question to you today is, do you know him? Have you been born into God's family? And that simply happens when we call out to him. Whosoever calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. This morning, if you've never taken that step of faith, right there in your seat this morning, you can simply in faith call out to him. You say, well, preacher, I don't know the right words to say. It's not about saying the right words. It's about asking God to forgive you and to bestow his grace upon you, putting your trust in Jesus.
If you would, bow your head and close your eyes with me today. Maybe you're here this morning and you've never taken that step of faith. You've never asked God to forgive you and today you just need to call out. It's not about magic words, but maybe you just need to say, God, save me. God, I know that I'm a sinner. I know that I've done wrong things. And God, I just, I trust Jesus this morning to forgive me and to give me your grace. And this morning with heads bowed and eyes closed, man, if you prayed that prayer for the first time, I just want to rejoice with you today. I'd love to talk with you after the service about what it means to know Jesus and be a follower of him. Maybe you're here this morning and you just needed to be reminded that it's not just about our passion. It's not just about checking all the boxes. It's about a relationship with Jesus Christ. That there will be those who stand and say, God, we did this, we accomplished this, but do we know him? And maybe this morning you just needed to be challenged and reminded that our passion should be directed towards knowing him more. God, I just pray that you would take your word today and you would apply it to our heart and our lives. Lord, I pray that even, even in this, the speaking of this prayer, God, that if there's somebody that does not know you as Savior today, that they would call out to you, that they would put their faith and their trust in you, that you would bring them into your family today as you have promised to do, to forgive them, to save them. God, help us as we go from this place to proclaim our faith, to recognize the need for our neighbors, our family members, those that we work with, that they too need to be saved and to pray and to work to see your will done in that way. Bless us today in Christ Jesus' name. Amen.